greet you again in the precious name of Jesus. I trust you had a a wonderful day. I trust that you communed with your Savior today. I trust that you're here tonight. I so appreciated your devotional. Actually, it was very convicting to me because I think I have went to church already uh, for all the first three. But I know that there is a hunger in my heart too. And I trust that there is a hunger in your heart tonight. And I trust that God will, will be faithful and, and feed us tonight from his word. Last night, if you were not here, we asked a very simple question, the first question that God ever asked a man in the Bible, and it's the question, where art thou? And let me repeat it. All God wanted from Adam was honesty. He did not want a perfect, I mean, it's not that he needed anything from him, really. He knew exactly where he was, but he wanted Adam to be honest. And I tell you, when we uh, learn that in life, so much, uh, so much is going to go right for us spiritually when we can be, when we can be honest. I closed the service in kind of a unique way and just had about a minute of total quiet time and asked you to write down what God said. And I'm just curious, is there anybody here that would be willing to stand up and say what you wrote down? What did God say to you? Remember, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So if you want some overcoming power, stand up and testify. Is there anybody that would be willing to stand up and say what you wrote down? What did God say to you? Thank you. You can change the past, but you can avoid allowing it to define you. Thank you. Anyone else? Okay. Thank you. Is there anyone else that would want to testify what God said to you? Thank you. I have an enemy. Anyone else? Thank you for those little glimpses. Um, It would make us very vulnerable to say, God showed me that I'm not where I want to be. The question was, where are you? And as we continue, uh, I just pray that God would, in his love and his mercy, would just be very specific with us. Uh... I'll say it now because I probably will forget it. I've sat during a lot of revival meetings and, and back in the day there used to be a lot of <clears throat> emphasis on the invitation, okay? 
I'm, I'm actually not as, I'm trying very hard not to put as much emphasis on an invitation, but I remember sitting at a revival meeting and uh, then comes the invitation, and this kind of mystical cloud is over you, but you can't really pinpoint anything wrong. I learned something about God, and I learned something about the devil, and I learned that God is always very specific, and I learned that the devil is very cloudy in general and foggy and he wants to put an air of cloud and condemnation who is he that condemneth you know what i mean romans 8 that's the devil he condemneth but god in his love and mercy is always very specific and if god speaks to you it's going to be uh, god told me that i need to quit a habit or god told me that i need to you know what i mean god so I pray that God will be very specific with each one of us and pre- as we press towards higher ground. Tonight, I would like to share a message called, that I'd like to title, No Greater Love. You may have heard the story about Dave Wilkerson. He was, uh, he was ministering in New York City, and uh, incidentally, there was a very vile man named Nicky Cruz that he began ministering to. And he walked up to Nicky Cruz and started preaching to, or sharing the gospel with him. And Nicky Cruz looked at him and said, Preacher, you talk to me like that, I'll cut you up in a thousand pieces. And I'm not sure what I'd do if I'd be in a back street of New York City and somebody would say that to me. But here's what Dave Wilkerson did. David Wilkerson said, well, you can do that. <laughs> go ahead. I'm, I'm adding emphasis. Go ahead. Make my day. Cut me up into a thousand pieces. Every single piece is going to cry out, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And, they, and he couldn't handle it. And it was a turning point to bring him to Jesus Christ. I know another man who in his teenage years was rebellious. And he walked away from his, uh, he, what he knew what was right. And he told me this. He said, one night I was out where I shouldn't have been and I knew it and the whole family was together and I knew my mom was really, had a burden for me and I came home and the whole family was there. It was probably a Christmas meal or something like that. I opened up the door and my mom met me in the doorway and she, she just looked at me and she said, called him by name and said, I'm glad you're home. And then he told me this. He said, I saw love in my mother's eyes, a love that I couldn't get away from, a love that just penetrated and drew me. And that's what I would just like to share tonight. Uh, No greater love is the title. If you're familiar with uh, those three words, you'll find them in John 15. It's not necessarily going to be an expository message tonight where we're going to go through the scripture like we did nine verses last night. But I'm going to take the theme out of John 15, And I'm going to start reading at verse 9. It says, As the Father loved me, I'm in John 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, so have I loved you. There should be a seal there. Stop and let it sink in. As the Father loved me, so I loved you. Continue, Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you abide in my love, even so as my Father kept my commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that your joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. 
my heart and my prayer is to bring you face to face with the love that just melts, melts, melts your heart all over again. When you really get a hold of the story, the old, old story that's ever, ever new, it will always melt the heart. It will purify. It will penetrate. And that is my prayer. Shall we pray? Father, I pray that you just bring us face to face with a love. A love that penetrates to the most inner recess of every heart. God, you told us that if Jesus Christ be lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. Do it tonight for Jesus' sake. Amen. So I'm going to kind of uh, break the message into three parts. It's a little harder to break this message into clear points as we did last night. But the first part of the message, I just want to talk a little bit about the blood of Jesus. No greater love. We want to talk about the power of the blood. A love that went all the way to the cross and shed blood. And we want to talk about the power of the blood. And then I'd like to just uh, maybe step back a little bit. And I want to notice that there are so many different responses to this great love, okay? And then uh, finally, I, I'd like to just uh, take the path of Jesus, maybe the footprints of Jesus, if you will, all the way to the cross. And, I, and in that journey, I want us to just come face to face with that no greater love than a man, that, than a man lay down his life for his friends. So... The first, the first point is about the blood. No greater love, it costs blood. I am curious tonight. I would like to see a, a, a raise of hands. How many of you have given blood? Okay, donated blood? Okay, very good. God bless you. Notable, honorable. You know there's people alive because of that that maybe, could, maybe would have been dead. You know that? More on that a little bit later. How many of you have tried and it was a fail? <laughs> I have a friend. Only one? Come on. No more? Oh, my. I had a brother-in-law that said, come, let's go give blood. And I was uh, kind of a little nervous. Sure, I can do this. My dad used to do it. I think I can. It was a little queasy, though. I think I can. And I, I got this. And so three of us, we went. And uh, I still remember putting my arm out. And I made the mistake of I watched it. That actually didn't hurt that much. And here's this bag, you know, and it's starting to fill up. And I... I, then I started getting a little, a little foggy, and I told the nurse, I said, I, I think I'm getting a little bit uh, faint, and she said, come on, she looked at me and said, you didn't even give enough blood to, give, to keep a mouse alive, I didn't appreciate it, <laughs> and I remember a feeling of emotion, and well, uh, and then my lights did go out, <laughs> And then I, what I, the next thing I remember is some for strong smelling salt and so on. And I, and they quickly took the the needle out, and it didn't work. <laughs> but I want to assure you that those of you that have given blood, don't forget that there are people alive, physically that would not be alive physically, they wouldn't be here 
if you wouldn't have given blood. And the spiritual analogy, if Jesus wouldn't give his, given his blood, there wouldn't be one spiritual person here tonight. Be sure of that. Be very sure of that. Don't disconnect the two. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. They overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb. I don't know if you've ever read, ever read any of Dr. Paul Brand's books. Uh, I'm curious. Gift of Pain, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. Uh, anybody read those? Uh, they're, uh, I, I would call them good reads. I really... Uh, appreciated the gift of pain and uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. There's another one in his image, I think, is another one. But in, in, in uh, fearfully and wonderfully made, Paul Brand gives his testimony. And his testimony was, uh, he grew up on the medical field and on the mission field. His father was a medical doctor. And he was a little apprehensive about uh, entering the medical field. He had memories of his father working with uh, just ugly abscesses. And you know what? It's not necessarily the clean clinics of our day, but over in, in, in some of the third world countries, the medical field gets into some, some pretty difficult stuff. Anyway, that was his life. That was his growing up, growing up years. But he talks about one story that transformed him and he said there was a young girl that was in an accident and apparently lost a lot of blood so she came into the clinic and it appeared like she was gone they, they thought they lost her and they gave her a transfusion and there was a little bit of a quiver or a pulse and and they gave her another transfusion and i think maybe even the third and he remembers or he he tells the story that she she opened up her eyes and she said can I have a drink? And, she, and, and Paul Brand said, at that moment, I knew my calling. I knew it. And he spent most of his years in, in, the, in the medical field. Now, that's, that's, an amaz- that, that's an amazing, to me, that's an amazing story. But, uh, and it's a story. But it comes closer home when it's in your house. And I don't know if it has ever happened to you or in your house. But... I didn't tell you last night, I introduced my family a little bit, but we had two children that, that were born with a very rare bleeding disorder called gray platelet syndrome. And I'd be shocked if anyone has ever heard of it because our two children were case number 10 and 11, something like that, in, in the United States. But what it's, uh, the long and short of it is their platelets are, they look gray and sickly under the microscope because they're, they're not working. Thus, it's called gray platelet syndrome. So they have a bleeding disorder. So trauma is very critical for our two children. And I still remember the one morning, our daughter was, it was, it was the weekend, she was sick. And on Friday, and we kind of, my wife was very good at detecting when we need to go to the hospital. On Friday, my daughter was not feeling well. There was something going on internally. There was no, nothing external. And she called up to Hershey Medical Center and talked to a nurse, and the nurse said, no, what you're describing sounds like the flu or something like that. Bring her in on Monday. Or just monitor it and bring her in on Monday. Well, Monday morning, I remember 
she, I heard her fall, and she fainted, and she was totally out. And we quickly called 911. The ambulance came, and we learned that we don't go to the local hospital. We go to Hershey Medical Center. They're the only ones that can handle these cases. They're aware of it. And they got her to the hospital, to uh, Hershey Medical, and then the, the nurse looked at her and said, blood, right away, with be, even before doctor's order. And if you know anything about hemoglobin counts, the heme, her hemoglobin count was down to four. And it was very critical. And I think it was three, three transfusions. And, and then she started to uh, kind of come back. And, but you know, well, we have a prayer chain at our church, and you probably do too. And I remember putting it on the prayer chain and asking the church to pray for, for our daughter. Her name is Janessa. And incidentally, one of the brothers in our church that day had went to give blood. And he was on his way home from giving blood, and the, his phone rang. And it was the one call about our daughter, Janessa, in the hospital. And he said, it was just, he always looked at giving blood as the most mundane thing, and he never really made the connect to what he just did and what I just testified to. And I just, uh, I didn't forget that day, and I never will. But I want, you know, that's a, that's a story, a physical story, but I want you to know that tonight, there is never a disconnect between you needing the blood of Jesus and Jesus himself being directly involved. He, there's never a disconnect. Whenever you go on your knees and say, Lord, wash me in the blood of Jesus, or God, forgive me for the sin that I just committed, you told me that in your word that if I confess... You are faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. There's never a disconnect. That's to me pretty beautiful and pretty, pretty powerful. After I remember the story about my daughter and make the spiritual analogy. Really, the blood, the blood to me is such a marvel. And I am not a doctor. And if any of you have medical uh, training. I hope uh, some of the things I'm going to say are kind of half accurate, but three three amazing things about blood. Number one, it's life-giving. It travels to every part of your body, taking oxygen and bringing life to every part of your body. Cut off the blood circulation from any part of your body, and that, that part of your body will die. It gives life. The life is in the blood. Secondly, it cleanses, for somehow the blood takes all the toxins to, uh, that it picks up in your body, takes it to the liver, where it processes it for elimination through kidneys and intestines and other places and so on. And that's the, the blood, your blood is doing that. And of course, make the spiritual analogies as you go. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, it cleanses, it gives life, it cleanses. And the, th the third part that has become a little more real to me is the overcoming power of the blood. They overcame him by the blood 
They overcame him by the blood. Well, I'm told uh, there are white cells in my blood and in your blood. That's the main part of your immune system. And they travel all through your body. And what they're doing is they're looking for foreign invaders. They're looking for they're looking for something that doesn't belong there. And they find something, and they attack it, and they attack it, and they attack it. And hopefully eliminate it. And that's exactly what happens with the blood of Jesus. They overcame him by the power of the blood. Well, maybe to finish my story about our two children. They, they, one day, my son was in the hospital. We made so many trips to Hershey. It would, be, it would kind of be like this. They would get injured or something would happen. You figure about a week in the hospital, just uh, transfusion after transfusion after transfusion, and, uh, and, some, and platelets and so on. And one day, my son was in the hospital, and the doctor came to him and said, Hey, have any, has anybody ever talked to you about a bone marrow transplant? Bone marrow transplant? That's what happens to cancer patients. I said, we said, no, but uh, he said, well, I'm going to talk to the, the, the we're going to have a meeting with the hematologist, and I don't really see any reason why it shouldn't work. But in long story short, we're going to knock your system out totally. And then we're going to find a donor, preferably a sibling that is a match to you, and we're going to harvest his blood cell, or his bone marrow, what produces the blood. And we're going to harvest his, and we're going to put it in you, and then it's going to grow in you and start producing his blood in you. And that blood is going to have platelets. Oh, wow. So we had consultation after consultation. And, it, and if you're familiar with it, it's a high-risk thing. It's about... It, it, it was almost a year's process. So you go into the hospital and you totally wiped out with chemotherapy and you harvest the blood from the, the sibling. And oh, by the way, we prayed and we said, Lord, if, if this is your will, you, we're going to have to have a sibling that is a perfect match. Well, lo and behold, I still remember the day I got the message when my two of my oldest sons went and got tested and one of my, my second son was a perfect match to, my, to the, both children that had the, had the gray platelet syndrome. So we, a long process, we decided to go ahead with it. 2019 was the first one and 2020 was the second one. And, and so, so basically what they did is just what I described and, and took the, wiped their system out, and uh, they're, by the way, they're very vulnerable at that time, but if you put the dots together, the second one was 2020, and that was, you know, what ha- was happening in 2020. It was something called COVID. Maybe in, you probably heard about that out here. <laughs> well, the reason that was pretty serious is because they take the cells from the donor and the, the, blo- the bone marrow from the donor and put it in the one that's getting the transplant, now, that's a foreign invader. So everything in your immune system is going to attack that and kill it and get rid of it. So they, 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 it's a fine line, but they, they suppress the immune system. I don't know how they do it, but that's what they do. So their, their immune system was shut down, so they basically couldn't fight anything. So that this, so the bone marrow in the donor could start growing. And then as the bone, ma- bone marrow 
in the don uh, from the donor in the person that's getting the transplant starts growing then they start eliminating and eliminating and eliminating the the suppressing of the immune system but it it was an uh, it, it was an amazing journey and i tried to make spiritual applications along the way we thank god that both of them today are living normal lives and they can take a bruising and a beating. Sometimes they fall down the steps and they say, look, look, Dad, if that would have happened to me five years ago, uh, I'd probably be going to the hospital. And it's, not, it's, hardly, and it's hardly bruising. I'm, I, we thank God for that. That point took too long. The power of the blood, but I hope it sinks in. The power, no greater love gave blood. So you have life, so you can be cleansed, and so you can overcome. Don't forget it. Now, I'll try to make this one brief. The, the, there are so many varied responses to this love. Do you know that to really respond to love, let me say it like this. To really love someone, you need to accept love. And if you can't love someone, chances are that you didn't embrace the great love that the Father has. I don't know if you caught it in John 15, but it's kind of like this the whole way through the passage that I read. As my Father loved me, so I loved you. So as I loved you, you love each other. It's, but it starts with the Father loving the Son, the Son loving, uh, loving us, and then we loving each other. Some, for some reason, struggle to accept love. I did. One of the theo greatest theologians one time said, the most powerful truth that I have ever learned is Jesus loves me. <laughs> For some reason, I, it took me a while to just embrace God loves me. God lo For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Christ so loved the church that he gave, love gives. I believe that there are varied categories of those that, have, that, are, that are saved. Put it like this. Uh, I, I, I praise God for, for those that have, have embraced Jesus Christ on the foundation of honesty, on the foundation of sin, on the foundation of I have sinned, I am a sinner. And they reached out to the loving arms of Jesus. And, and I know it's a process. I know that uh, my 10-year-old and my 12-year-old, uh, they, 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 they haven't embraced it all. And even I have not embraced it all, and you have not either. You still grow in your knowledge of that love of Jesus. But there's something about when we get it, there's a security. They're at rest. And I hope that's you tonight. They're, they're saved, secure, at peace, at rest. Growing? Yes. Challenges? Yes. Deep valleys? Yes. Times where you feel like quitting? Maybe. But there's something about a deep, settled peace that you just live with. Then there's, I think there's a second group of people that maybe embrace the love in a different way. Uh, well, it's kind of like the first. This is the first and the second are not too much different, but it's the young ones, and they're, they're, they're still growing. They're not on meat. They're on milk. 
They're learning to walk, just like a child. You know, the analogy of being a, of, of, of a child is throughout the scripture about being born and then also learning to walk. And the, there are those that are just learning to walk and not on meat, but on milk. It's sad when there's a 20-year-old Christian that is still on milk. Actually, in Hebrews, probably uh, you're familiar with the passage. Paul is, uh, I think Paul wrote Hebrews, and he said, you're still on meat, and you should be on milk. You should be skillful now. You should be teachers and so on. I think there's another category of people, and I think they're, they're, they're saved. They've embraced the love, but they're weak in faith. They're very weak. This group really struggles to believe in the merit of the blood of Jesus. They do. And they live a life for whatever reason. They're so easily swayed from the blood of Jesus to I just can't believe that God loves me and that the blood of Jesus would do that for me and I just have to help God out with my works and I do this and I do this. I think that's another group. Then I think there's a, there's a fourth group. I think, I think, uh, I would call that the weak of faith. And I think there are those that are saved. I, believe, I really believe that there are people that are saved but for some reason have never allowed the Holy Spirit to permeate every area of their life and they are careless and they are struggling with sin. Sin has dominion over them and they're, they're grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is not a difficult doctrine at all. I don't think so. Uh, some people, there's book and books and books and seminars and seminars about the Holy Spirit and I think it's such a basic, simple doctrine. First of all, you're born of the Spirit. And when you're born of the Spirit, you simply learn to walk in the Spirit. And when you're walking in the Spirit, you are told not to grieve the Spirit. If you grieve the Spirit, you'll be resisting the Spirit and even to the point of quenching the Spirit. And I think that, that actually, that's my theology right there. The Calvinistic, Arminian debate. Uh, I, I think for me, it's simple. I think, now I don't think you really lose your salvation, but I think you can actually walk away from it and in in doing so you're just the holy spirit's prompting you convicting you and calling you and calling you from sin you know the holy spirit hates sin holy spirit 101 he came to reprove or convict the world of sin and that's what the holy spirit will do over and over and this fourth group is a very careless group and i will never say the man crossed the line and there's no hope for the man but there's a couple verses in, the, in, in Hebrews and some things that almost indicate that. I think that's God's business. I don't ever want to tell a man or suggest that a man cross that line. But I think it's something to come to grips with. So responses to the love of, of uh, this wonderful love. Saved and secure, growing, weak in the faith, or maybe careless. I don't know who you are, but it all has to, I'm convinced it all has to do with what you did with the love of Jesus the love of God. Now I'd like to quickly take you on a really fast journey. Please join me. We're going to walk together. We're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to walk to the cross. First, before we can take a 
before we can take the first couple steps in his ministry, let's just back up. And I see love in the condescension. What I mean by that is, you, you, you believe that Jesus was in heaven forever and ever, and he condescended. He came, he left his throne in glory and became a man, and he's the only person that chose his birthplace, and he chose not to come in a palace. He chose not to come in royalty. He became a man. He chose a humble birthplace, and then after choosing a humble birthplace, he humbled himself. Philippians 2 tells us that he made himself no reputation. He didn't focus on reputation. He made of himself no reputation, but he took upon himself the form of a servant. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. It's like he can't stop going down. And he, took him, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I don't know about you, but I, my, I think of the song, He left the splendor of heaven, knowing his destiny was a lonely hill of Golgotha there to lay down his life for me. If that isn't love, if that isn't love. Love in the condescension. No greater love we're talking about. Love in ministry. I... Today I did it again, and I'm not going to go through it, but read, make a note of Matthew 9, and read it sometime, and when I get done with Matthew 9, I'm tired, I am so tired, just by reading one chapter. I mean, he heals, and then he gets grief for healing, and then he recruits, and then the Bab- John the Baptist disciples came and asked him some really hard questions, while he's speaking, a man comes and says, my daughter died, my daughter died. And then he goes and helps the man that had a dead daughter. But on the way, there's a lady that came up and touched his head, hem of his garment. And he stopped and said, who touched me? And you have that incident. And then he goes on and he heals the, heals the, the, uh, the, the man that, or the, he goes into the house that the daughter died and raises her, leaves the house. Two blind men call out. He heals them. Then there's a man that had a devil and he heals her. And then he heals him. And right after that's done, the religious leaders, they start mumbling. He's doing it by the devil's power. (sighs) I'm tired. If you ever have a long day, read Matthew 9. And then at the end of that, he says, they don't have a shepherd. And then he says, we need laborers. Love in the ministry. Jesus ministered out of love. He took the little children up to his, his breast and he blessed them. I see love. Now don't think I'm on the page of love, love, love. Do you know what love, I mean, uh, imbalanced love. Do you know that if you have balanced love, a man might come to you one day Come running to Jesus, the rich young ruler. Jesus looked at him and said, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's what the Bible says, loved him. Well, if he loved him, tell him some nice things, right? Jesus said, go and sell all that you have. Go sell it all. Give to the poor. Then come and follow me. And the man went away sorry. He experienced love. 
He experienced love, but he, he didn't respond to love. Sometimes love says hard things. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Love, no greater love. Let's walk now. Join me, please, in your minds. We're going to step into the garden. First, he condescended. He lived about three and a half years of ministry. And then the time came, and that's where John 14, 15, 16, 17, all red words. He's ready to go to the, car, he's ready to go to the cross, and he just pours out his heart to his disciples. And that's the context where I read the first couple of verses. But now we're going to jump in, uh, in John 18. I'm not going to go through it verse by verse, but I want you to know that his calling was always clear. He came to save. He knew how. Did you ever have something coming up and then one day <laughs> you took a shower, you got dressed, you got in the car and you said, I can't believe I'm actually going to, and you don't want to go. And maybe it's a tough meeting. I've been there. You have too. Maybe it's a doctor appointment. I was just looking through pictures today. I actually went to the picture of the day where my daughter opened up the door and there's a big sealed door where she walked in. She knew she wouldn't come out of that for months. In the tram... Well, we talked about it and talked about it, but the day came where you actually went through the, Jesus, the day came where he's going. He went to the garden to pray. And he was, he, oh, by the way, gardens are lonely. Maybe you're here tonight and you have a garden. I think every person, every child of God goes to the garden. I'll, I'll, in fact, I'll guarantee it. He was lonely. He wanted a friend. He took a few. They slept. I'm convinced there's some times that nobody can share what we're going through. It's the garden. He battled with his will. He looked, he, he took, I don't know if it was a, I don't think it was a literal cup, but he said, God, I don't want the cup. He looked in it and he said, I don't want it. I don't want it. I guess if you, I guess if you could liquefy the sin of the world, it would look pretty ugly, right? <laughs> And he looked into it, and he, he said, I don't want it. Okay, that's okay. That happens in your garden. You don't want it, I don't want it. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And the Bible says, by the way, that's where the battle was won, right there. The battle was over. And angels came and ministered to him. Oh, wait, look. Look with me. Wade, sometimes I want to go to the garden. Anybody ever been to the garden in Israel? Oh, God bless you. I want to go there. So I'm told you can look down over the valley and way somewhere there, Judas came with a, King James says, uh, a band. A band of soldiers. My studies indicated that that band of soldiers was about 600 men. 600 with torches and swords and you know what soldiers do they come to fight they they were on their way to the garden but the, the battle was over the battle happened as soon as jesus said nevertheless i'm not my i'm gonna stop fighting with my own will that's garden victory right there try it try it sometime in your garden nevertheless not my will but thy will be done well the Judas and the 600 may still come, but they, they came up to him, and they, you know what, so they expect a fight. Hey, we're going to, 
who is this man that it takes 600 of us against one? 600 against one? Odds? And Jesus comes out and he, here I am. In fact, he goes right up to Judas. And you know this story. Judas kisses him. That's sad. That's not what a kiss is for, right? Why? Why a kiss? And Jesus looks at Judas and says, friend. I'm touched. I'm talking about love in the garden. Watch no greater love. They treat him like an animal and tie him up and lead him like a, like a, a lamb to the slaughter. And he goes, six unfair trials. They stack the case. And I'm going to just be honest with you. My wife tells me I'm a very competitive person when I play sports. I just want to, I, I just, I like to give the other team a challenge. And I'll be honest with you, there's enough in me that says, come on, Jesus, let's do it. You can, you did it before. You could say one line and they send into the little huddle in the back corner and they say, if we do this, we're doomed. If we say this, we're doomed. Come on, Jesus, do it. That's in me. Jesus didn't say a word. He openeth not his mouth. You know why? Because he looked at me and he loved me. He was there in my place and I was guilty and you were guilty too. And because of that, he didn't open his mouth as a lamb to the slaughter. No greater love. Love that could have sent him in the huddle, but love. He was there in my place. He was there in your place. Watch him. Oh, I can hardly handle it. His good friend Peter, a little side note. During the, during the trial, the little episode with Peter, he had told Peter that he's going to deny him, but one time Jesus is going from one, point A to point B, looks down a little corridor, and there he looks at Peter, and Peter's cursing and saying, I don't even know him. And the Bible says in Luke 22 that Jesus looked at him and, and their eyes locked. You know what Peter did? Right after the gaze, the, the gaze of love. Jesus didn't look at him and say, <sighs> Jesus looked at him. The Bible says Peter went out and wept bitterly. That's the power of love. The power of love. The six unfair trials sent him up the hill to Calvary. They climb the hill and very likely halfway up the hill. I don't know exactly what happened, but it seems to me that Jesus is so physically exhausted. I didn't even talk about the beating and the scourging and the mocking and the slapping and all of that that happened. And they go up the hill and he's probably so exhausted. I wonder, I wonder if he fell and he just couldn't carry the cross anymore and he fell down. And there come to, uh, a dear, dark-skinned man from, uh, from Cyrene, Simon, and he carried the cross. He carried Jesus' cross. They get to the top, and the soldiers are very, probably very uh, accustomed to putting up a little bit of a fight. Can you see him? Can you see Jesus? Can you see your Savior? Can you see him put his arm out? 
Can you see him put his other arm out? Cooperation like they never saw before. Why? Love. No greater love. I wonder if Jesus was even saying, I love you. I love you. If he wasn't saying it, he was living it. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And we could go through the seven sayings of the cross, but the, the, the highlight one is, Father, and he's suffering. And he's suffering. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If only I could do that. If only I could live like that. If only I could experience that kind of love towards my brother. Forgive him, Lord. He doesn't know what he's doing to me. Well, I'm going to read John 19 to close. It says, this is almost more than I can handle. I'm skipping so much of the story, but the Jews had a little problem because there was a certain day coming up and they didn't want to be caught in the act during their high day in, in John 19, verse 31. And they begged, Jesus, they begged Pilate that their legs could be broken, that they could be taken away. And I'm told that that's the way to hurry up the death because a man naturally is going to shift his weight and shift his weight and shift his weight. And that actually prolongs the agony, prolongs the life. So what they would do is they would go break the legs of the people, people being crucified and now they can no longer shift their weight and it speeds up the death. The Bible says that in, verse thir- in 19, verse 32, it says, Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already. They didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers, with a spear, pierced his side and forthwith, came there out blood and water. That's more than I can take in. How? How can a soldier come up to a dead man and take a sword? A dead man is pretty defenseless, right? A dead man isn't going to fight. But it's like the last act, the cruel act that mankind can can, uh, utter. And he takes his sword and he... I just can hardly imagine it. But out of that cruel act, poured out blood and water. And you know where it fell? It fell at the foot of the cross. That's where you find forgiveness, that's where you find healing. That's where you embrace love at the foot of the cross. That changes life. That changes. October 31, 1993. That's what was happening in my life. And I'm wondering tonight, I'm going to go back to last night's question and say, where are you? Maybe you're here tonight and God's calling you. 